Hi, everyone, and welcome to 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. The two Golden Age radio shows, Escape and Suspense, were radio's leading anthology series of high adventure and drama, with Escape airing on CBS Radio from July 7, 1947 to September 25, 1954, and Suspense continued to 1962. These two shows presented great American-made radio drama, which became the foundation for TV. Radio, as you know, is purely acoustic, with no visual component, and it relied on great scriptwriters and actors to enable the listeners to imagine the characters and the story. It was high drama, great acting, and terrific stories. As one of the shows say, all designed for you from the four walls of today. Here we offer the very best of escape and suspense. We hope you enjoy this week's presentation. And if you do, send us a kind review for 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. And now, our two stories. You are isolated on a remote plantation in the crawling Amazon jungle and an immense army of ravenous ants is closing in on you, swarming in to eat you alive. A deadly black army from which there is no escape. Escape, produced by William N. Robeson and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Today we escape to the Amazon jungle and to a creeping, crawling terror, as Carl Stevenson told it in his gripping story, Leiningen versus the Ants. I first met Leiningen while performing my duty as district commissioner. As my boat neared his plantation landing, I saw him upon the riverbank, regarding me with mild interest. A great hulk of a man with bristling gray hair, bulky nose, and pale eyes. His entire appearance somehow suggested an aging and shabby eagle. He escorted me to the terrace and had a drink brought. I came quickly to the point of my visit and issued my warning. Leiningen puffed placidly at a huge cigar and listened as I told him, unless they alter their course... And there's no reason why they should. They'll reach your plantation in two days at the latest. Uh-huh. Well, it was decent of you paddling all this way just to give me the tip. Tip? Commissioner, even a herd of crocodiles couldn't drive me from this plantation of mine. But but these aren't creatures you can fight. They're an elemental force, a gigantic catastrophe. Ten miles long, two miles wide, ants, nothing but ants. And each one as big as your thumb and each of them a fiend from hell. Unless you clear out at once, there'll be nothing left of you but a skeleton picked as clean as your own plantation will be. I'm not getting out. But you can't fight. Yes, it... I can. I've got the best weapon there is, Commissioner. Intelligence. But can't I make you understand the hideous... I think it is you who do not understand. The... In the three years I've been here, I've met and defeated more than one catastrophe. Flood, drought, a plague. Events which cause many of my neighbors to flee for their lives. No, Commissioner, all my life I have lived with one creed. 
The human brain needs only to become fully aware of its powers to conquer even the elements. Leiningen, your obstinacy is endangering not only your own life, but the lives of your workers and their families. You don't know these ants. I tell you, you don't know these ants. But Leiningen merely sat there puffing at his cigar and regarding me with a smug grin, and I knew it was hopeless. As I boarded my launch and cast off, I realized I had never met a man like that. And I could not help wondering wondering about the strange look in the commissioner's eyes as he boarded his launch and cast off. Undoubtedly, he thought me insane. (laughs) Well, he would have not been the first to think so. But I, Leiningen, knew my own powers. I was sure of myself. I knew that intelligence directed aright always makes man the master of his fate. That night, I called my Indian workers together in front of the plantation house. I saw their faces go ashen with terror as I told them the ants were coming. Watched them as they milled around, muttering. I said nothing more to them. Finally, one of the men stepped forward. Blas, the foreman. Uh, Patron, we have worked hard here for these three years. Uh, All of us. We have built the finest plantation in this district. We all share in it. It has been a home for all of us and our families. Now, the ants come. So? Uh, those ditches we dug last year, the pipe we put in the ground, that was for the ants? That was for the ants. If we moved our families across the river, the ants could not reach them? Yes, that's right. And you? The ants are mighty. We know what they can do. All of us think that you are mighty. Patron, we will stay with you and fight against the ants. I knew that the men would give me that answer. I'd counted on it. I thought of the commissioner and wondered what he would say at such unquestioning confidence. Would he still think I was insane? All that night, I could not get Leiningen out of my mind. One man who calmly evaluated his chances against a deadly menace coolly decided he could win and was willing to stake his life on it, to risk a horrible death for it. It was terrifying. And yet, it was fascinating. The next morning, I sent for my assistant. Together, we went to the huge map of the district which hung from a wall of my office and checked the last reported position of the ants. Last night, they had reached here, about 70 miles above this fork in the river. Traveling southeast? Uh, Yes, Directly toward Leiningen. Uh, toward uh, whom, sir? Uh, that plantation at the bend in the river belongs to a man named Leinogen. When would you say the ants will reach there? Oh, I, I don't know. I imagine about uh, tomorrow noon. Tomorrow noon, still time. Still time? Uh, what do you mean, sir? Why? Why, nothing. But what did I mean? Still time for what? For Leinogen to flee or still time for me to... Even as I rejected the thought with horror, I knew that the fascination of that man was more than I could resist. That Leinogen's fight was drawing me back toward that plantation and death. I knew now past all doubt that I was going back. I had to. (laughs) 
was 10 o'clock in the morning when I rounded the bend and saw Leinenjen's plantation before me. I put in at the dock and tied up the launch. Then I saw him standing on the bank above me, arms folded, stubby cigar in his mouth, and that same smug grin on his face. I made my way up to him. Well, back with another warning, Commissioner? No. Back to stay a while? Yes. No. You don't seem very surprised. No, I'm not. You expected me? I thought you'd be back. Yeah, come along. We've got some horses. You'll want to ride around the plantation, take a look at the defenses I rigged up. Yes, I'll want to see the defenses. And the ants. We'll be getting a glimpse of them before long, I should think. Yes. The ants. Defenses Linogen had devised were quite impressive. Surrounding three sides of the plantation, like a huge horseshoe, was a ditch 12 feet wide. The ends of this horseshoe shaped ditch ran into the river, which formed the fourth side of the plantation. And at the upriver entrance to the ditch, Linogen had constructed a dam by which river water could be diverted into the ditch. A large hand wheel controlled the floodgate of the dam, and apparently Linogen had ordered it opened immediately after my arrival. For as we now approached the ditch and rode along it, I could see that it was nearly full. How do you like my first line of defense, Commissioner? It's reassuring, like like a moat around a castle. <laughs> Unless the ants know how to build rafts, they won't reach the plantation. This is the only the outer moat. There's a better one than this. Now, come along. We'll go up on the high ground where the buildings are. We can get a view from there. Nine inch. Huh? I... Uh, I didn't see any women or children around the plantation or any animals. Yes, that's right. Move them across the river. And even you think there is danger. Not because of danger, Commissioner. Matter of efficiency. Efficiency? Cuts down on the efficiency of the men if they're worried about their families. Critical situations only become crises when oxen and women get excited. I see. Ah, here we are. See this ditch? It's much smaller than the other. Yeah, you've noticed how all the buildings are on this piece of high ground. The inner ditch surrounds them. It's lined with concrete. But but even filled with water, this is no barrier. It's not big enough. Why, if the ants get this far, they'll... They'll get no farther. They... This ditch wasn't built for water, Commissioner. You see the pipes leading into it? See those storage tanks up on the hill? Petrol. We can throw up a wall of flame. Get uh, a bet they won't like that? I hope you're right. Linogen, look! Over at the edge of the jungle, all those animals. Yes, running like the wind. Everything from jaguars to monkeys. Good heavens. Remember, they don't have any ditches. But can they escape? They'll be all right as long as they don't get caught between the river and the ants. They can outrun the crawlers. But if they get trapped, it's either the ants or the crocodiles. Commissioner, look! Look over there on the horizon. There are your ants. Look at them! a sight I will never forget. Over the range of hills, as far as I could see, crept a darkening hem, ever longer and broader until the shadows spread across the entire slope, then downward, downward, uncannily swift, and all the green herbage on the entire slope was being mowed as by a giant sickle, leaving only the vast moving shadow extending, deepening, and always moving nearer. Uh, They're a hideous lot. Linogen, we can't last against that. 
Look at them. Why, they will fill your ditches with their corpses and still have enough to destroy every one of us. We've got to run. Well, uh, no, they haven't gotten to us yet, and they never will. hostile army was approaching in perfect formation. No human battalions, however well drilled, could ever hope to rival the precision of that advance. Along a front that moved forward as uniformly as a straight line, the ants drew nearer and nearer to the water ditch. As they approached, two outlying wings of the army detached themselves from the main body and started marching along the sides of the ditch, no doubt expecting at some point to find a crossing. And during this hour-long flanking movement, the main army remained still. Across the scant 12 feet of ditch, I stared at them, and they stared back at me. A solid mass, every one as big as my thumb, with reddish-black body and long legs. Suddenly, a sound so unearthly as to freeze our blood jerked our heads in the direction of the jungle on the far side of the ditch. Coming toward the ditch at a stumbling gallop was a singular being, a writhing, animal-like, blackened statue with a shapeless head and four quivering feet. It was a stag, covered over and over with ants. Lamington threw up his rifle, and the stag fell lifeless to the ground, its agonies at an end. Horrified as I was, my curiosity impelled me to glance at my watch. I, I had to know how long the ants would take. After six minutes, only the white, polished bones of the stag remained. Now I could see a change in Lanagan. Gone was the sporting zest of the novel contest. In its place was a cold, violent purpose. He had to beat the ants because now he knew how long it would take them once they got to us. Around four in the afternoon, the ant scouts, having found no crossing, there was a stirring among the main army. And then an immense flood of ants about a hundred yards in width commenced pouring in a glimmering black cataract down the far slope of the ditch. Thousands drowned instantly, but the rest began using the bodies as bridges. Lanagan immediately swung into action. Get to the dam, open the floodgate a little more. We've got to get the water in the ditch moving faster. Look at them drown by the thousands. But they keep coming. Even though the current carries many of them away, they're advancing. Well, we'll fix them. Bluff! How about those shovels and petrol sprinklers? You passed them out to the man? It has been done, Senor. Then get all hands here in a hurry. This looks like a spot for action. Commissioner. Yes? Beginning to see what I was talking about? What do you mean? About intelligence being more than a match for anything it tackles. Take the ants. They've got no intelligence. If they had, they'd have attacked along the whole length of the ditch instead of a narrow front like this. And they'd have been across by now. <laughs> Too bad I'm not running their campaign for them. You can joke about it like that with the ants halfway across the All right, man! Busy with the shovels now! Drop some sand and crunch on them. See how they like that! You with the petrol sprinklers, start pumping! <laughs> they don't like it, Commissioner! They don't like it a bit. Look at them. Yes. 
But look at the ones on the far side of the ditch, whole clumps of them rolling into the water. The rest are using them for bridges. Yes, smarter than I thought. They're widening their front, too. Some of them are getting across. Well, grab a shovel then, Commissioner. Make them regret. Ah! What's the matter? I didn't grow up my shovel, senor. Get out of my arms. Into the petrol, idiot. Gouch your hands in the petrol. Don't stop now. The rest of you, grab them. Grab them. Get the flood gates open. Yes, they can't hold their own against the current now. Uh, look at him, Commissioner. The water's carrying them away. We beat them. We've won out. It was true. Lineage had won at least the opening round. The floodgates were left open to forestall any night crossing, but when dawn came, the dark blanket was still there, motionless across the ditch. Then we notice a feverish activity on the other side of the plantation. Here, a grove of tamarind trees lined the far end of the ditch, and every tree swarmed with the crawling insects. But instead of eating the leaves, they were merely gnawing through the stems so that a thick green shower fell steadily to the ground. Well, it looks as if it's feeding time for our friends, eh? Blouse. Senor. Have all the petrol pumps brought here. Get everyone over here except the lookouts on the other side. Yes, and pass out the shovels. Si, si, senor. Going to deprive them of a meal? A meal? Aren't they cutting the leaves down for food? Wish they were. Looks like I underestimated them when I said they didn't have intelligence. What do you mean? I said if they wanted to get across, they'd have to have rafts. That's just what they've got. Those leaves are their rafts. Even as he spoke, the leaves went tumbling down the far bank by the thousands. The current drew them away from the bank, and each leaf carried several ants. Don't worry, as long as you keep spraying them and shoveling dirt on their rafts, they can't land. But there will be too many. It's true. Look, more leaves in the ditch all the time. Why, they'll have a solid carpet to walk across in a minute. Not so fast, Commissioner. I've still got a trick up my sleeve for them. The water! The ditch is drying up. Yes, yes, of course it's drying up. That's the plan. Those are the orders I sent to the dam. Are you mad? As soon as it's empty, what's to prevent the ants? Look! The water's way down. It's almost dry. They'll be able to come across the bottom. They'll not make it. The man at the dam will have opened the gates by now. To flood the ants? Right. But but what a chance to take, if anything, to... Uh Aha! Here it comes. Here comes the water. Uh, Now we'll give the crawlers in the ditch a good ride. Out into the river. There! Look at him go! Leiningen's tactics were successful at first. The violent flow of water at the original depth raced through the ditch, overwhelming leaves and ants and sweeping them along. Three times the ditch was emptied, three times the ants raced across its bottom, and three times the rushing water arriving just in time carried them away. But the fourth time, as the water lowered nearly to the bottom of the ditch, we waited in vain for the rushing water. And then... What's the matter? What's gone wrong with the dam? The ants! Just as the man at the dam lowered the water almost to the bottom, the ants attacked. Before he could open the floodgate, he was almost surrounded. He ran. The ants kept coming. They are across the ditch! Leiningen stood motionless, absorbing the news of his defeat without a word. Then he raised his pistol and fired three shots into the air. 
The prearranged signal for all men to retreat instantly to the second line of defense, the concrete ditches more than a mile from the point of invasion. Soon after we arrived there, the natives commenced strangling in silently. Landingen waited until all of them had gathered. Then he spoke to them. Well, lads, we won the first round, lost the second. But we'll smash the crawlers yet. Anyone who thinks otherwise can draw his pay and push off. There are rafts enough on the river and plenty of time still to reach them. No, no, no. no, no, no we stay. Stay. You stay, then. Good. Thank you, lads. And you, Commissioner. I, I can't persuade you to give up the fight. You cannot. Then I stay, too. No. I knew you would. Senor, senor, if you have the answer, reach a ditch. They're trying to get across. No, senor. I didn't think they would. There's plenty of food out there for them. My fields and orchards, a work of three years. Ought to last them until morning, anyway. Yes, we were safe for that night. But the next morning, the black swarm was solid around us, and their shock troops were hard at work. They were dropping shreds of bark and twigs and leaves into the petrol-filled ditches, forming a floating bridge across the surface of the liquid. Leiningen stood silently watching this operation, and I could see a grudging admiration in his face. Then, after several hours, the attack came. Down the ditch they poured, millions of them, and across the bridge of twigs, rapidly approaching the inner side. Leiningen sat motionless, watching them. Watching them. Leningen, for the love of God, don't sit there like a statue. They'll be on us in a moment. Let them fill the ditch first. No. No. All right. Everyone back. Get back. Plus, hand me the torch. Now we'll see how our friends like a little heat. The flames from the ditch shot into the air, devouring ants by the millions. It was some time before the petrol burned down to the bed of the ditch, but when it did, the devils came back for more. Again, Leningen fired the ditch to destroy them, and still again they came on. But at each successive firing, the task of the ants grew easier because of the film of ash which now covered the petrol. As they returned to the assault time after time, a slow, sickening horror crept into my mind. I looked quickly at Leningen, then at the petrol tanks. He read my gaze and nodded slowly. That's right, Commissioner. We could hold them off forever if our supply of petrol was unlimited, but it isn't. We've got enough to fill the ditch once more. But, Leiningen, isn't there any way, any way at all? We've got to do something. Yes, We've I got... know, I know. There must be a way. There must... Yes. Yes. What is it? We'll flood the whole plantation. Flood? But how? The river's higher than any point except this high ground we're on. Huh? If the river was dammed all the way, it'd overflow that stone breakwater and flood the whole plantation. But... We've got to close the floodgate at the dam. That'll do it. You're mad. The dam is more than a mile away. More than a mile of ants. Lads, listen to me. What? Listen, lads, I'm proud of you. Now there's still a chance. By shutting the floodgates in the dam and flooding the whole plantation from the river. The moment I'm over the ditch, set fire to it. That'll allow time for the flood to wash away the ants. Then all you have to do is wait for me. It's, it's impossible. You can't get to the dam, let alone back. That's where you're wrong, Commissioner. I'll get there and I'll get back. Take care of things while I'm gone, huh? I watched him as he calmly pulled on high leather boots, 
drew gauntlets over his hand and stuffed the spaces between breeches and boots and gauntlets and arms with petrol-soaked rags. He shielded his eyes with close-fitting mosquito goggles and plugged his nostrils and ears with cotton. Then the natives drenched his clothes with petrol. Blass, who acted as doctor to the men, smeared a salve over him, and finally, Leiningen was ready. And as he stood calmly surveying... ready for the run, I realized that this was as it should be. I, Leiningen, would meet the ants and defeat them. I would be defeated by them. No, Leiningen versus the ants. Yes, it was right that it should be like this. But now there was no more time for thought, only action. I took a deep breath and bounded across the ditch and among the ants. I ran. I ran in long, equal strides, and with one thought, one sensation in my being, I must get through. I dodged the trees and shrubs. Except for the split seconds my soles touched the ground, the ants would have no opportunity to alight on me. I ran on. I was halfway to the dam before I felt ants under my clothes and a few on my face. I struck at them mechanically, scarcely conscious of their bites. And the dam grew toward me slowly. The distance grew less, less. Finally, only a hundred yards away, fifty. And I was there. I gripped the ant-covered wheel. But hardly had I seized it when a horde of ants flowed over my hands and arms. I strained. Slowly the wheel turned. Turned more. The floodgate was swinging, slowly shut. And then it was shut. And the water was rising. Rising behind the breakwater. Closer to the top. Closer. And then it was spilling over. The flooding of the plantation had begun. I let go of the wheel and started back through the ants. I was coated from head to foot with the fiends. Tongues of fire stabbed at me as they bit into my flesh. I almost lost my head with the pain as I ran, knocking ants from my body, brushing them from my bloody face. And then... One bit me just below the rim of my goggles. I managed to tear it away, but its agony of the bite and its venom drilled into the eye nerves. I saw now through circles of fire into a milky mist. I was almost blinded, but I knew that if I tripped and fell, it... well, I ran on, my, my heart pounding as if it would burst, blood roaring in my ears, a giant's fist battering my lungs. Then I could see dimly that wall of flame its ditch, but it was too far away, I... I could not last half that distance. I stumbled. I fell. I felt myself being swarmed over, devoured. I tried to rise. A great weight. Then suddenly the vision of the half-devoured stag in my brain. Six minutes, then nothing but bones. I couldn't let it happen to me. I couldn't die like that. To my feet. To my feet. Drag myself forward. To the flame, the ditch, the ring of flame, closer now, only a little further. We had waited for hours, Ten and all at once, steps. through the blazing ring around us, an apparition hurtled and fell full length on the ground. It was Leiningen, alive with ants, unconscious, with glazing eyes and lacerated face. We rushed to him, stripped off his clothes, and tore at the ants that covered him. His body seemed almost one open wound. In one place, I could see a white bone. (laughs) 
Later, as the curtain of flame lowered, I looked out where that blanket of ants had been and saw only a vast expanse of water, covering the entire plantation and working its way to within a few feet of the concrete ditch. The ants were gone, drowned, and Lanningen had won. He lay on his bed, his body swathed from head to foot with bandages, but alive and still in command. Everything in order? Everything's in order. I told you I'd come back. No. Even if I am a bit streamlined... Escape, produced by William N. Robeson and directed by Norman MacDonald, today brought you Leiningen vs. the Ants by Carl Stephenson, adapted for radio by Robert Reif with William Conrad as Leiningen and Lou Merrill as the commissioner. Music was conceived by Cy Feuer with Eddie Dunstetter at the organ. Next week... You are groping through a dark alleyway in the French Quarter of New Orleans terror driving you on, and always before your eyes is the malevolent stare of a voodoo man striking you with a deadly curse from which you must escape. Next week, we escape with William Irish's eerie story of a voodoo-haunted band leader, Papa Benjamin. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week when we again offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. down a dark alleyway in the French Quarter of New Orleans, driven by terror, hounded by the curse of the Papaloi, a curse from which there is no escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape into two worlds. One of modern jazz, the other of primitive voodoo. And to a doomed man who brought them together, as William Irish imagined it in his eerie story, Papa Benjamin.
Police Department, 4th Precinct, Sergeant Tolliver speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, pick him up on a drunk 723. Right. Yes, sir. What can I do for you? Are you in charge here? Yeah. Hey, aren't you Eddie Block, the band leader? That's right. Hey, Joe, look who's here, Eddie Block. Well, never thought we'd get a visit from a big celebrity like you, Mr. Block. And at four o'clock in the morning. I suppose, though, this is just the shank of the evening for a big shot orchestra leader. Well, what can we do for you, Mr. Block? I just killed a man. Uh, you're, you're kidding. I tell you, I've just killed a man. I guess you've been working too hard, Mr. Block. You, you're imagining things. Here, here's the gun. Look at it. Yeah. Sit down, Mr. Block. Better have a drink of water. You'll feel better. No, no, no. I'm all right. Sarge? Yeah? This gun's been used all right. Smell. Hmm. Was it an accident, Mr. Block? No. Well, who'd you use it on? Who was it? I don't know his name. They uh, call him Papa Benjamin. Sounds like yeah. a white man? No, he was a Negro. Oh, well, now, in New Orleans... Oh, we... no. No, no. It, it was nothing like that. Well, what was he doing to you? He was killing me. Huh? Killing you? Uh, but how? Look at me. I used to weigh 200 pounds. I'm down to 102. Well, how? How was he killing you? Would you believe in anything you can't see, can't hear, can't touch? Well... I've been to the biggest doctors in the world. They don't believe me. How can I expect you to? I simply say I'm cracked and let it go at that. I don't want to spend the rest of my life in an asylum. Ah, look, Mr. Block. You say he was a Negro named Papa Bench. Yeah, right? yeah. He was an old, old man. Eighty, maybe ninety. Skin and bones, he could hardly walk. And I shot him. You sure? You sure you killed him? Yeah, of course. Well, where? I don't know exactly. In a little back alley in the Vieux Carré. Near Congo Square. Uh, supposing you take us there. Can you do that? Then maybe we'll find out this is just a bad dream. This is the alley. To the right, between the buildings. All right, let's go. You pack, Sarge? <laughs> you catch cold without it. Mm -hmm. Don't go back there, honey. Quiet, you. Oh, cops. <laughs> nice neighborhood. This is it. In that door and up the stairs. Well, come on. On. No, no. Don't make me go up there again, please. Better come, Mr. Block. You're showing us. Hey, flash your lights. There's somebody here on the stairs. Huh? Who's... Uh, uh, he won't bother us. Dead drunk. Step over him and let's go. This ain't the most pleasant neighborhood to come calling in. Is this it? Yeah. In that door. Oh, come on. Better call the commissioner. Mr. Block wasn't kidding. This man's dead. But why? Why? 
Because he was killing me, Commissioner. It was self-defense, eh? He never came near me once. I was the one who went to him. I offered him 3000 10000 any amount, and he refused. Finally, I offered him my gun and asked him to shoot me with it, to get it over with quickly, not to drag it out any longer. Then when he said no, you shot him? Yeah. So you can lock me up now. Mr. Block, do you think we want to hang a murder rap on you, one of the most popular celebrities in the United States? Use your head. Now, I'm trying to find an out for you. He was killing me. Look, an 80-year-old colored man who's so feeble he can't even go upstairs by himself, who has to have his food pulled up to him in a basket, is killing who? A stumble bum his own age? No. Mr. Eddie Block, the top band leader of America, who can name his own price anyway, who has about everything a man can want. Tell me just one thing, Mr. Block. How was he killing you? By thinking thought ways of death that reached me through the air. Now, Mr. Block... You... you want to hush the whole thing up, don't you? No. No, Mr. Block. But I'm going to get the whole story. So you might as well start telling me from the beginning. All right. Began one night about two years ago. We were playing at Maxim's on Charles Street. We were just another band. Small Dixieland outfit then. Eddie Block and his chips. Judy Jarvis, my wife, did the vocals. But we weren't setting the world on fire. Business was so bad, I knew what to expect when I got a call from the manager one night after closing time. Come in. Oh, hi, Eddie. I, uh, thought we'd better have a little talk. Ah, it's, uh, that bad, huh? We took in 4500 this week. Yeah, I see. And, uh, you can cancel my contract anytime it falls under 5000 I, uh, get it. Eddie, they can get the same liquor and sandwiches anywhere, but they'll go where the band has something. Tonight there were more waiters in the place than customers. Judy didn't even get a hand. It's not her fault. I know it's not her fault. She's okay, but... Well, I'm asking you, what's wrong? I I don't know. I'm getting the latest arrangement sent to me from New York. We sweat our heads bald rehearsing. This is New Orleans, practically the cradle of jazz. You gotta give them something new. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. When do I leave? Well, finish the week up. See if you can do something about it by Monday. If not, I'll have to wear St. Louis to get Kruger's band. I'm sorry, Eddie. Oh, that's okay. You're not running a charity bazaar. But I didn't feel so cocky about it. It looked like we were on the skids. The band just didn't seem to have it. And I wasn't good enough to figure out why and pull him out of it. I was feeling pretty low when I went back to the deserted bandstand to pick up some music. The place was dark and empty, except for a couple of scrub women cleaning up. A dark nightclub can be an eerie place sometimes. I got that feeling just before I saw it. Saw it lying on the floor between the stands was a severed chicken claw with a red ribbon tied around it. I almost laughed. How did that thing get there? Then I picked it up and tossed it out of the floor where the scrub women were cleaning up. I certainly wasn't expecting the reaction I got. They took one look, turned, and ran out. (laughs) 
I just recovered from that surprise and was bending down to pick up some music that had slipped to the floor when I heard someone come in. I guess I was pretty well hidden from view. Anyway, he didn't see me. It was Johnny Stats, my drummer, and he was acting funny, looking intently at the floor, searching for something. Suddenly, he spotted this chicken claw on the floor and grabbed it up with a terrific sigh of relief, stuffed it into his pocket, and walked out. What I did then, I did on a strange impulse, and it changed the whole course of my life. I followed Johnny Stats. I suppose I just meant to catch up with him and have a cup of coffee with him somewhere and ask about the chicken claw. But as I followed him farther and farther down into the view carré, down to Congo Square, it was a growing curiosity that kept me on his trail. When he turned into that dark alleyway, I stopped and debated. I felt like an eavesdropper, and yet something drew me on. And I walked up that dark alley. I passed that one lighted window. Don't go no further, honey. But I went on. Through a sort of tunnel into another alleyway. And then I stopped. Ahead of me, Johnny Stat stood before a dark, dismal-looking old wreck of a building. Suddenly, he whistled quietly. A gigantic man appeared out of the shadows. Johnny handed him the chicken claw and was motioned into the building. And then I heard sounds coming from the upstairs of that building. A throbbing drum, a wailing, an unearthly sound, and yet wonderful. An exotic, fascinating rhythm. This was music. Something new, something sensational. Something that would set New Orleans on its ear and put Eddie Block in the big time. I had to get in there and hear it. I was mighty busy for the next five minutes. I ran back down the alley, overturning five or six garbage cans before I found what I needed. Then, back to that lighted window in the alley, and a five-spot in exchange for a red ribbon. Then I was back at the dark building, walking up to that menacing shadow. Lila, let me see your face. Okay, okay. Easy, with that knife. My ribs are tender. Your face never been here before. My friend Johnny Stats up there. He'll tell you. Mr. Johnny, your friend? Yes, you'll come? This, uh, this chicken claw told me to come. Papa Benjamin sent you there? Certainly. You'll make me late. Papa Benjamin won't like that. All right, go along in. First thing you know, all New Orleans going to come around. I groped up the stairs, half expecting to feel his knife in my back. But I got to the top safely. Cautiously, I opened the door and slipped in. The room was full of people. They were in such a state of frenzy, I wasn't even noticed. I slipped into a corner and slid down by the wall, sitting on the floor. That was a sight I'll never forget. Wild, fantastic, hideous, revolting, fascinating. In the center of the room was an incredibly old man, naked to the waist, wearing a hideous mask. 
and holding a live chicken. There were wild gestures, weird incantations, frantic dancing, shouting, rolling of eyes. There was blood. And always there was the chant. Nobody noticed me. After a moment, I took a piece of copy paper out of my pocket and began putting down the notes. It was wonderful. Fantastic and wonderful. In ten minutes, I had it. And I'd seen enough, enough for a lifetime of nightmares. I began to feel sick. I wanted to get out. I started to stand up. Suddenly, the room went dead. A stranger is here. His bony arm stretched out straight from the shoulder, pointing at me like an arrow. And there was blood on it. What you do here? I... I know this man. Let me find out. No one moved. There was no sound in the room as Johnny Stats came over and squatted beside me. You're in terrible trouble, Eddie. I don't know if I can get you out of it. What is this, Stats? What are you doing here? There's no time to talk now. You've got to do something quick or you'll be a dead man. Why? I'm in the very heart of New Orleans. They wouldn't dare. Listen, you've seen enough tonight. You know better. Eddie, there's only one way. What? Join. Become one of us. No, it's no. It's the only way, Eddie. I can't save you. You'd better hurry up because unless you do, you'll never get out of here alive. You know what this is, don't you? This is voodoo. Okay, sure, I'll join up. Why not? Uh, wait a minute, Eddie. There's a lot more to it than you think. Unless you're serious, it'd be better to get cut to pieces right now. All right, don't worry. I'm serious. All right. Hopaloy, his spirit wishes to join our spirits. The old man burned some feathers while the others watched silently. Then he nodded. It came out all right. He reads them. The spirits are willing. There were other things, rituals, ceremonies, another sacrifice. Then as the chanting started again, they brought me the sacrificial bowl. I didn't have to be told what was in it. I started to draw back. Drink, Eddie, drink or they'll kill you on the spot. Late next morning, the band assembled at Maxim's for a rehearsal. When Johnny Stats got there, he found another drummer sitting in his place. Naturally, he came to me. What's all this about, Eddie? I don't want any voodoo lover in my band. That's all, Stats. Here's a check for two weeks' salary. So you're crossing them, are you? Boy, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for all the gold in Fort Knox. If you mean that uh, bad dream last night, and I haven't told anybody and I won't, I'd be laughed at. I'm only remembering what I can use of it. The jungle is just trees to me. The Congo or river in the nighttime is... Just a time for electric lights. Yeah, but this new number you're going to rehearse this morning. I said I'd remember what I can use. Listen, Eddie, that chant is sacred. It's secret. It was secret. Eddie, don't do it. Look, here's a couple of C-notes. Hand them these. That ought to pay up my dues from now to doomsday. And I don't want a receipt. And if they try putting poison in my orange juice, they'll end up in a chain It's gang. not that easy, Eddie. You're one of us now. Oh, get out. Okay. Goodbye, dead man. <laughs> Graham, the manager of the club, changed his mind about canceling our contract when he heard us rehearse the chant. Instead, he spent five G's in publicity. And Saturday night was set for the big unveiling. It seemed like all New Orleans tried to jam into Maxim's, came to hear the voodoo chant, the real thing. Just before we were ready to hit it, Judy came up to me. Eddie, listen, let's not do it. Oh, what do you mean, baby, not do it? This is it. This is our ticket to the big time. It'll be a sensation. Yeah, I know, but I... I got a funny feeling. And look, I found this under your dressing room door just now. It sounds like a warning. Somebody doesn't want you to play that number. Let me see. You can summon the spirits, but can you dismiss them again? 
Think well. <laughs> Forget it, baby. Stats is trying to scare me because I fired him. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, come on, honey, let's go. They're waiting. Action takes great pleasure in bringing you a historic moment in musical history. You're about to hear for the first time anywhere the voodoo chant, the age-old ceremonial rhythm no one but the initiated has ever heard before. This is the real thing, an accurate transcription, not a note's been changed. So, ladies and gentlemen, Eddie Block and his chips present for the first time anywhere the voodoo chant. Once a night, that'd pack him in. After it was over, I went back to our dressing room. Judy got there before me. She was reading a newspaper somebody had brought in. Eddie, listen. Oh, baby, you were wonderful, and we wowed him. We're in the money yeah, now. Yeah, Eddie, but... Oh, uh... boy, am I tired. I feel more tired than I've ever felt in my life. Nervous strain, I guess, huh? Let down. Eddie, look here in the paper. Oh, who cares about the paper now? Eddie, it's Johnny Stats. Huh? He's dead. He drowned himself in Lake Poncho train this afternoon. He... This afternoon. Then that note, it wasn't Johnny. Oh, well, look, Eddie, you can't blame yourself. Me? Oh, no, 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 no. No, of course not, but I think I know who to blame. What do you mean? Nothing, nothing. Eddie, why don't you lie down and rest for a few minutes? You look worn out. Yeah, I am. I uh, I feel dead. Here, let me take off your coat. Oh, be careful. What's the matter? I don't know. Funny thing, while I was... Waving the baton on the chant, I, I felt something, a sharp pain there in my back, like a pin or something stuck in me. Well, I don't feel anything there now. Maybe it slipped down. I don't know. Couldn't have been much. There. Now, you just lie down. You'll feel better in a few minutes. You've been working too hard. You should relax now. Maybe take a few days off. Hey, Eddie, look here. Where did this come from? What? It's a little doll. It was lying on the dressing table. Why, Eddie, it looks just like you. Let me see that's funny. Look, there in the back. There's a little pin sticking in the back. Yes. That's right where I felt the pain. That started it. The next day, I had a backache. Later, there was a numbness that spread to my shoulders, arms, legs. I felt tired all the time, listless, dead. I began to lose weight. I couldn't get Johnny's stats out of my mind. He'd introduced me to them, vouched for me, and he'd committed suicide. He knew. He hadn't waited. I decided to get out of New Orleans. I went to New York, 
Playing the chant, of course, I had to. It was my biggest asset now. But nothing changed. I was losing weight from a husky 200 down to 160. I couldn't sleep. Maybe if I put an ocean between. I took an offer in London, toured the continent, away a year. I was an international hit now, the biggest attraction in music. But I was down to 110, dying on my feet. The doctors couldn't figure it out. Reynolds in London told me. You're as normal, Mr. Block, as anyone I ever examined. You're so well balanced that you haven't even got that extra little touch of imagination most actors and musicians have. I guess that's true, Doctor. I'm just mediocre. And yet, you might say, my success is killing me. And so, after two years, I finally realized it was no use. I came back. Back to New Orleans. Back to the dark alleyway down near Congo Square. I could just barely drag myself along. But I had to see Papa Benjamin. I slowly climbed the stairs up to that loathsome door. I went in. There he was. Papa Benjamin. Staring at me from the bed as if he'd been expecting me. Then he started to laugh. Take that curse off me. Give me my life back. I'll do anything, anything you say. What? Been done cannot be undone. You think spirits of earth, air, fire, water know what forgiveness means? Intercede for me, then. You brought it about. Here's money. I'll give you twice as much. All I earn, all I ever hope to earn. You have fouled the Obaya. Death has been on you from that night. All over the world, in the air above, you have mocked spirit with a chant that summons him. And please, please, here's a gun. Kill me now and be done with it. I can't stand anymore. All you have to do is shoot. I'll write a note, sign it, that I did it myself. It will come, but different. Slow, oh, slow. No, 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 I can't stand it, I won't. I won't. Maybe if I kill you, maybe then the spell will be broken. No, no. Yeah, that's no, it. No, I'll kill you. No, no, no. <laughs> And that's all, Commissioner. And I came here. To the police station. You know the rest. Well? All right, Mr. Block. Don't believe me, do you? Yes, I believe you. Not about the curse, of course. That was your own mind. They planted the suggestion in your mind you did the rest. But it's plain that you killed in self-defense. Crazy kind of self-defense, but... I think we can manage it. We'll try. Mm. 
The commissioner managed it, all right. Howell is almost a story in itself. How a detective with a moulage false face posed as Papa Benjamin and called the voodoo clan together and into a trap. How they collected the evidence that proved my story. And how they sent most of that voodoo bunch to jail. My name wasn't even connected with the case. So now I'm free. I'm living again. I've gained weight. And the tiredness and the numbness is gone. I took a nice vacation. I went to Bermuda, relaxed, and had fun. Now I'm back in New Orleans at Maxim's and the whole thing is forgotten. We're opening tonight. And the place is packed. Everybody's come to hear the chant. Eddie Block and the chant. We're on our way now. Nothing can stop us. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome back on his triumphal return, Eddie Block and his chips playing for you the one and only Voodoo Chant. <laughs> Look at them, Judy. They're eating it up, aren't they? Yeah. What's the matter? I was hoping I'd never hear this thing again. What do you mean? It's your trademark, yours and Eddie's. I tried to persuade him not to do it, and he wouldn't listen. Why? You aren't imagining all that voodoo stuff. I don't know. It was all in his mind, and it nearly killed him. I don't think you can put it out of your mind and forget so easy. When Eddie plays it again... Oh, nice. Hey, wait a minute. Look at Eddie. There's something wrong. What? Oh, he's staggering. Eddie! 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 Judy, now wait. Here, let me pick him up. He's probably just fainted from the excitement. No! No, leave him alone. He's dead. (laughs) I guess Papa Benjamin won after all. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight brought you Papa Benjamin by William Irish. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel, with Frank Lovejoy as Eddie Block, Louis Van Ruten as Papa Benjamin, Harry Bartell as the police commissioner, and Joan Banks as Judy. Music was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Next week... You are speeding through the night on the Istanbul Express. You're alone and unarmed. And suddenly you realize that your life is in danger. That somewhere on the train are deadly killers from whom you must escape. Next week, we escape with Harold Lamb's exciting adventure story, Three Good Witnesses. Good night, then, until the same time next week, when again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Thank you for joining us at 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We try to alternate weeks with two episodes of Escape one week, followed by two episodes of Suspense the following week. New episodes of 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense are available every Sunday at noon Eastern Time. We always appreciate reviews. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.